I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, okay? And in that time, 90% of the people in America considered themselves Christians. And 75% of those people, three out of four, had no idea what they believed or why they believed it. They were more interested in going to a rock concert, drinking beer on the weekends, chasing girls, stuff like that. They lived exactly like the world. And so now what we have is we have two generations that we have raised who now believe in ideologies such as communism and socialism and all of these things, critical race theory. You just go down the list of all of these, not just economic, but spiritual ideologies. And the reason why is because nobody can stand up and articulate why we believe what we believe. And that's the point of the salty pastor is we go back and say, this is where it comes from. Now you can accept it or reject it. That's up to you. I'm not telling you what to believe, but I'm telling you, you better know why you believe what you believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. This is a journey that you are on called life, and part of that journey is your walk of faith. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're either growing or shrinking in your faith. You're shrinking! Every single day. And the goal of the Salty Pastor Podcast is to help you navigate this journey called life. And we do this through strengthening you through knowledge and tools and deepening your knowledge so that you have greater wisdom. Uh, we want to focus on what's true so we can help you clarify your options because yeah. you, if you know what's true and what's not true, that helps you make better decisions. Yep. And finally, we encourage you with some support. We want to help you find other people who want to grow and develop on this journey called life. And that is one way that those are yeah. a couple different ways that the Salty Pastor Podcast is here to help here you. To help you do that. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the one, the only Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Well, hello, everybody. It's so good to be with you today as we are really kind of digging into what the scripture teaches about the family. I think what's interesting is that uh, it's just so much as... Uh, assumed or presumed, you know, it's mm. like, well, we value family and you're supposed to be married. And so we make moral statements about it, but we don't really know why. Right. And we never really dig into the foundation of it. And because of that, when it gets attacked or when people come up with other ideas, we like, uh, uh, I, I don't know. So that's why we do this is because I want you to know what the truth is, what the foundations of uh, what you believe, because you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Mm. And I think that's critical to being a mature person. Absolutely. We've been researching what the Bible teaches about the family, yep. and uh, we're not going from a subjective point of view, but we're using the Bible as an objective point of view about what the family is and how we should be um, living in it. And I like how you pointed out in 1 Timothy 1, five, where it says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a clear conscience, a conscience mm -hmm. and a sincere faith. And the purpose of our study is to help people build the strongest, healthiest families that they can. We don't want to have victims of bad upbringing, yeah. doomed to repeat all the mistakes of the past. We can mature, we can grow, we can most importantly build great families and do better. Yeah, you know, we're not, we don't have to be victims of our past. If we were raised in a poor situation or dysfunctional situation or, uh, you know, whatever type of situation, it doesn't matter. The purpose of the teaching in the scriptures is love from a pure heart, mm -hmm. a clear conscience, sincere faith. 
And so that when applied to your family, that means that you have the opportunity to grow, to mature, to change. Not only do you have the guidance to do it, like this is what works better. This is proven to be true, not just because God said it, but it's just worked to be true over and over and again. Uh, this works, these principles work, but also you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. And maybe I didn't have the same, uh, in training or development in my own family. This just seems so unnatural for me. doesn't matter because if you're a redeemed believer, you have the power of the Holy spirit, you know, and the spirit of God is moving inside of you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, by just relaxing and relying upon the Holy Spirit, you can see things changing in your own life as you adopt these biblical principles to build a really great family. And so I think the way you view it is so important. And that's why being a redeemed follower of Christ is such a big deal, because it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter the past of yesterday or 50 years ago. All those patterns, all those things that happened in the past that have been established in the past can all be redeemed, renewed, changed, and transformed. So in a way, when you are a follower of Christ, every day is a brand new day. And Mm. I mean, literally, it's a brand new day. And so uh, let today be the first day of the rest of your life. And if you want to build your family, strengthen your family, heal your family, whatever you need to do, today is the best day to do the new thing that God wants to do in you and through you. Absolutely. And last week you discussed how marriage is critical to building that strong family, how there's a lot of instruction on how to keep your marriage strong. Now, this week we're going to delve into children. So uh, where do we start, Pastor? (laughs) Well, let's go back and you need to understand the biblical basis for how we view children in the family, okay? In Genesis chapter 2, at the end, you remember that God created a... Adam, and then he said, he's in the garden alone. That's not good. I'll create a help mate for him. And then he causes a sleep to fall over him. And then he takes a rib and fashions a woman out of this rib, brings him to Adam and says, this is a, you know, woman. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, meaning she's the same essence, the same type as me. And then what she does, he does is, Uh, It says, Moses records, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so the the meaning basically that when you have a female and a male that come together, what ends up happening is they produce offspring. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the implications there. They create a new living soul. And this is one of the things that's really important to understand that all throughout Christianity is that we are asked as human beings, and this is how we're different than angels and we're different than demons and different from anything else. We're asked to be co-creators of new life souls with God, Mm. you see? And so, you know, Christianity is different than... Uh, other belief systems, particularly Latter-day Saints, because what they teach is that all these souls are pre-existent in a heavenly realm, and then they come down and enter into a body. But in Christianity is that that life doesn't exist until a man and woman come together, right? 
and they are intimate, and they copulate, and they produce life. The sperm fertilizes the egg. It's a new creation, so to mm-hmm. speak. And so, and then that becomes a living soul, right? That didn't exist right. prior to that point. So, so that's really quite fascinating when you think about it, that. You know, children are not just offspring, but they are our invitation from God to create life with him Mm. and not just like, you know, uh, uh, livestock type life, but sentient life, life that is, uh, has a living soul. So that is really quite fascinating when you think about it from that perspective. And then if you notice in chapter four, verse one of the book of Genesis, it says that after they were ejected out of the garden because they had invited evil into the world, the creation, it says the man had relations with his wife, meaning they, they had intercourse. And he says, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained, this is what's really interesting. I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord. So right off the bat, at the very beginning, we see this co-creator relationship when Eve basically says, hey, I created this child with God's help. So God was involved, okay? And then you move on. Now Moses is writing this, right? He's looking back, you know, thousands, writing that down um, in this uh transfer from Egyptian slavery to the promised land. And so he writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. It's called the Pentateuch. And in Deuteronomy, we see how, what, what the law is. There's a lot of stuff, Leviticus, and then Deuteronomy is a lot about the law and, and the ceremonies these, and, and the rituals ceremonies, yeah. and all of that thing. Yes. Yeah. And one of the reasons why so many people misquote the old Testament and so forth is they get really confused on the difference between uh, civic law because there's civic law in there. And then there is religious or ceremonial law. And so it's really interesting is that people conflate this all the time. They say they like to go pull things out of context and say, this is what it says. And it's like, yes, yeah. but it's related to something very different than what exactly. you're trying to equate it to. So it's, you know, it's real similar. Like you have uh, statements about uh, immorality, like adultery, you know, it says, you know, if you uh, commit adultery, you cheat on your spouse. That's wrong. Okay. Well, there's another statement in there about homosexuality is wrong men sleeping with men is wrong and then so people today and this was made famous by um the west wing the 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 show with the west wing remember alan sorkin's the west wing in there is they have this whole dialogue on there where the president you know is is uh supposedly smarter than anybody in the room and he's there and he says well it says that you know, ridicules this person that says, oh, you disagree with it. And they say, no, I don't disagree with it. That's just what the Bible says. And then his response is, well, it says in Leviticus too, that you're not allowed to eat shellfish, right? So our, uh, but we do that today. You see what, what that is, is that's a perfect example of, uh, unintellectualism, right? <laughs> that's a nice way of saying that's just pure stupidity. That's just pure ignorance. And that's what Hollywood does is it just tries to equivocate stuff. Mm. And in this situation, what they do is they just equivocate. They go, well, this is, there is 
civil law. You can't steal from your neighbor. You can't do this. There's ceremonial law, right? Which is, this has to do with your relationship with God. And I'm trying to teach you how to do that. And then you have moral and ethical laws as well that, um, and like the dietary laws, not all the dietary laws. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of nutritional experts and doctors go in there and say, well, the reason why the Jewish nation became so large and became so powerful is because of these dietary laws. You know, one of the things is that they couldn't eat pork, right? Well, up until like the 70s or 80s, you every time you ate pork, you had a high risk of getting a certain parasite that killed you. You know, that's why you always had to cook pork. You know, that was a really big thing, right? And so same thing with shellfish, you know, the bacteria and the problems and people that ate those diets struggled with a lot of those things. You know, the, the potential for infection and bacteria and, and things Preparing of that nature it the right was way super in high. Those times was super yeah, hard. Super and, yeah. And so, so it was like, well, just avoid all that. So anyway, long and short of it is it's important to understand is that in Deuteronomy, um, bringing it back to what our point is, is he says in chapter six, verse four, he goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So what he's doing here, he's giving you a primary source text that says, here's the point of everything we do is learning how to love God with everything we got. And then he goes on to say, these words, which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. Okay, so it's a heart deal, right? So now he's talking about kind of the religious law and the whole point of, of how to relate to God and why it's important to pursue God mm. and so forth. And he goes, and he says, he says, they shall be on your heart and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and daughters and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road and when you lie down, when you get up. So he says over and over again that children um, and offspring uh, are to be included in this spiritual journey that you have with God because that's what ends up being best for them. So they had a high value on children. You see, they didn't see children as uh, secondary or devalued. And this is in opposition to a lot of these ancient tribes. Like there's a lot of... Uh, uh, brouhaha that develops over the notion that uh, a lot of atheists say, how can you follow a God that tells the Israelites to go in there and then wipe all those people out? Right. right? Okay. Well, there's two answers to that question. First of all is there's one position that says it goes in there. He says, go in there and annihilate this tribe. And then after you annihilate them, don't marry their daughters, you know, and don't take their livestock. Is it? Okay, if you annihilate them, then why would you say, don't marry their daughters? Right. <laughs> so they say it was, it was like an idiom. Like we use it all the time when your football team, you know, goes to play, you know, somebody else, Boise State goes to play Nevada. What do we say? You know, I hope you kill them. Yeah. I want you to kill them. Right. Well, do we mean go in there and like take them out, unlive no. them? No. No, we just mean get on the field and massacre them. Right. <laughs> well, what does massacre mean? Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying is yeah. so that that's one option. I don't but the, here's the other option and that is is that even if God did do that does he have a moral reason for that? Mm. And what a lot of people don't want to admit is that these tribes were a dumpster fire of problems. 
And one of them was, is they murdered their children right and left. They built these giant bronze altars where they would build um, fires inside of them and it would heat up with their hands out and they would lay their living children in the palms of this in order to try to get this god Molech to bless their crops, Mm. right? So they practice child sacrifice like crazy. They had no value of life. Uh, And so is that an abomination to God when you don't value life and you're just murdering it right and left? Yeah, that's a problem. We went to war in World War II to stop the abomination of what Nazi Germany was doing. And part of that was what the the Holocaust, the most horrific thing of it all. So if you're going to say God didn't have a a right to say go in and annihilate those tribes, and you're going to say we didn't have a right to go in and stop Nazism, right? There are people that say that. Yeah, which, yeah, they're nuts. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, for give me a break, you know? I mean, stupidity is stupid, and that's stupid. So, sorry, I'm so, I, I guess I shouldn't say stupid. Well, <laughs> I do, so therefore it shall be done. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I think is really fascinating in those arguments that, that just gets everybody off track and and stuff like that is is that we do things for moral reasons all the time, right? And we stop evil, w- which is a moral designation, you see. Yes. And so so the notion is is that these children were valued by God, and He asked the Israelites to put a stop to the evil that they propagated. In Psalms chapter one twenty seven verses three to five, five it says, "Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord." The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So the Jewish vibe in the Old Testament had a huge emphasis on children and the value of children, even to the point where they not only said include them in your spiritual development. They're a part of your faith expression to God, but we need to stop other nations from killing children indiscriminately, particularly for evil reasons. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because um, as Christians, we typically, we don't, we use it. We, we, we see the old Testament as a, as the history of how we got to the new Testament, right? Mm -hmm. There's a new covenant that was made. Um, So there are things in the old Testament that are not applicable to modern day or to Christianity because God said, I have a new plan for you. We're going to get rid of the things that were in the uh, old covenant and make a new covenant. And this is how we're going to interact moving forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that the same when it comes to children, do, do, do we see Old Testament values or, or the ways, things that are mentioned in the Old Testament brought forward into the New Covenant that is the New Testament? Yeah, and I think that's really important to understand is as, as followers of Christ, we're New Testament Christians. We're under the New Covenant, right? The Covenant of Christ. And so what you do is you go back and you say, okay, if something was articulated in the Old Testament, was it re-emphasized in the New Testament? And that lets okay. you know whether you should be listening to it or not, right? Exactly. And and exa- and so what is the new what is the vibe towards children in the New Testament? Well, it says in Matthew chapter 18, 
It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and sat him among them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one, one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to be, who believe in me to sin, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. So Jesus now is saying, not just your child, but all children are valuable, mm-hmm. spiritual children as well as physical children. He says, if you know, a new believer, if they're tripped up and deceived by somebody, be better than a millstone hung around their neck. In Luke chapter 18, verse 15, he says this, Now they were bringing their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking the people. Jesus, though, called for the little ones, saying, Allow these babies, these children, to come to me. Do not forbid them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So the vibe in the New Testament is that children are a blessing and we need to be more childlike in some aspects of our faith. Children are not only a part of the, you know, survival or propagation of the human race. We're actually co-creators of sentient life with God. We, we are the part of souls becoming into existence that did not pre-exist. So uh, that gives us an opportunity to populate heaven. And, mm. and, and this is all a part of God's purpose, his will and our role in it. So it, it's a part of our faith. It's an expression of our soul. And so we see the reality of who we are in Christ and we see the reality of offspring, of becoming parents in Christ uh, as an as expression of our faith. Therefore, we are to cherish our children. We are to nurture our children. We are to protect our children. And we are to direct our children. So if the New Testament places such a high value on children... Is there a connection between our family and, 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 well, I shouldn't say is there. You've already stated there is a connection Mm -hmm. between family and our faith. Talk to me about why families are struggling today then. Yeah, the families are really having trouble Even in Christian homes, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing that even there. If if those are so tightly linked, why are we still seeing struggles in that? Well, yeah, I mean, we talked early on on the first week of our study about that the family, the nuclear family, is under attack. It's not doing well. Mm. And I I think there's numerous reasons for this, even in Christianity, and that is, number one, Christians in America raise their kids in a way where they outsource the reason for what they believe. And this is basically what happens is you raise your kids and you take them to school because you want the school to do what? Educate your kids. Right. You take your kids to church because you want the church to do what? Educate your kids. Yeah. Teach them faith. Right. Okay. But guess what? That doesn't work. Because if, if you if your kid comes home when he's in the eighth grade and says, Dad, you know, if God is good and God is loving and there's evil in the world, why doesn't God do something about it? And the dad says, 
I don't know. Go talk to your Sunday school teacher. What what does that kid do then? You see, um, this is a really salty thing to say, but I will say it for everyone's consideration. (laughs) I grew up in the 70s and early 80s, okay? And in that time, 90% of the people in America considered themselves Christians. And 75% of those people, three out of four, had no idea what they believed or why they believed it. They were more interested in going to a rock concert, drinking beer on the weekends, chasing girls, stuff like that. They lived exactly like the world. And so now what we have is we have two generations that we have raised who now believe in ideologies such as communism and socialism and all of these things, critical race theory. You just go down the list of all of these, not just economic, but spiritual ideologies. And the reason why is because nobody can stand up and articulate why we believe what we believe. And that's the point of the salty pastor is we go back and say, this is where it comes from. Now you can accept it or reject it. That's up to you. I'm not telling you what to believe, but I'm telling you, you better know why you believe what you believe. Cause if you don't, you have to understand this is the first reason why families are struggling is because a family's under attack and it's uh, uh, under attack primarily through ideologies. And if you don't have, if you don't know what you believe, you have no foundation to stand on. You can't stand up and say, you know what? I think talking to kindergartners about sexuality and sexual expression and gender ideology is evil because children shouldn't be exposed to this. You're stealing their innocence. They have no idea what that stuff means. They, they have no drive or awareness of it until they hit puberty. The whole point of sexual education and these um, sexual discussions should happen when kids start facing puberty. Uh, prior to that, it never even crosses their mind, mm. you see? And so what you're doing is you're stealing their innocence, the, the innocence of just being children. And so that's really critical. So that's the first reason why families are struggling. The second reason why is because one of the ideologies that took root, most people have no idea, is a radically left idea. And that is in 1946, Dr. Benjamin McLean Spock wrote a book, okay? It was called Baby and Child Care. In the, by the early 50s, it had became a popular book. It has sold more over 50 million copies in America. In the 20th century, not now, but in the last century, it was the most popular book seconded only to the Bible, right? Wow. It was massive. And in it, the one reason why it took root is because he said, look, the way your parents have been teaching you, you know, this real austere place, uh, they were taught, uh, don't be affectionate with your kids, don't hold your kids, don't tell them you love them because the world is a cruel base and you need to toughen them up. And he came along, and the first point of his book was you should nurture your kids, you know, hold your kids, tell them you love them, be affectionate, and so forth. So, yeah, I agree with that right. tr- tremendously. But then what, uh, what he did is he said, also, don't have any structure and don't do this. And his underlying premise was that kids are blank slates or they're fine. And 
they don't struggle with problems. And he had a very Rousseauian notion of society, which we've talked about before. And that is, is that people aren't the problem. Society's the problem, right? People are fine. So it's society that makes them do bad things. So if you change society, then people will be perfect. Mm. Okay, that sounds really backward because what is society made up of? People. People. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's like, okay... Critic- that's why it's important to think critically. Well, what do these words mean? It sounds really good on the surface, but what does it actually mean? It, it's just circular reasoning, right. circular arguments. And what people don't know is that uh, uh, Dr. Spock was an American pediatrician, but he was also a left-wing political activist. That's why it's important to know when people are saying, hey, these are the 10 tips to raise great kids. I'm like, well, who's telling me that? Are you the Satanist from the Satan temple downtown? Right. Right. Are you Where this you, person? Or? Who is giving you this information <laughs> and what, what do they, what are their beliefs, core beliefs, and what are their mo- core motivations for sharing that with you? Which is one of the things I love about Gen Z. Because they're skeptical about, because you know what I'm saying? They're so adept. They know deep fake on the internet like no tomorrow. Right. Right? So they're skeptical, which I like that um, about them. But the problem is that you can become a deconstructionist, right? Mm. And that means all you're good at is tearing things down and you become an empty shell. So, and you have, because you have to be skeptical of what? Your own skepticism. Right. (laughs) <laughs> got to find so, that balance. You got to find that balance. So what, what happened is even though he, he advocated for more affection, which was great, he also advocated some other things, particularly lack of structure, that then that society was what caused things. And this led to the notion that children would turn out a certain way no matter what. So the thing is, is that it divorce was passed as no-fault divorce. You see, prior to the 70s, before Ronald Reagan, he said, this is the biggest regret of my political career. In California, he signed the bill that allowed no-fault divorce in California, and then it swept Mm -hmm. the land. And he says, that's my biggest regret. Prior to that, if you were going to get divorced, it was like, okay, if you get divorced, it's going to hurt your kids, so you have to have... You have to have a compelling reason. Otherwise, we're just we're going to make you stay together until the kids are old enough to go out on their own. Right. And so what what that ultimately led to is a devaluation of children. And you add to that abortion and these other things. Um, you, you children were seen as an inconvenience now, and so further devaluing them. Yeah. And so this is so. Do I think that people get up and say, "Wow, I want to get married and have kids." Um, and have a weak family and see my family blow apart. Nobody wants that. Right. Right. However, people are digesting things from their culture that are cancerous to their marriage relationship, that are toxic to the way they raise their children. And you have to understand what these toxins are. They may, you know, most people are aware, wow, you know, I don't want to give my kid a phone I don't want my kid to have social media until they're 18. You know, there's a lot of parents that are now doing this, which is really right. wise. Um, but the, the but there's also you have to watch out for these ideologies, the upstream values where they come from, because they're going to flow downstream and they're going to create a current against your desire to have a strong and healthy family. So if you want a strong and healthy family, I think one of the things that you're going to have to do is you must value your children 
And then you need to understand the basic needs of children. And then finally, you're going to have to protect your children. And we'll talk about more of this uh, on Thursday. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing with us today. And thank you so much for um, engaging our brains and causing us to <laughs> cr- uh, think critically and, and giving us some Bible verses to be looking at so that we understand what the objective mm-hmm. truth of the Bible says about what children are in our lives and how um, we should be approaching them. So I really appreciate that and appreciate you guys for joining us today. We'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.